banter and no banter we're going so today we so we've already we've already established screaming cups tied together with string where else are we going i have no idea renu how are you doing by the way i'm still getting over my laughter are you how's mm -hmm. the microphone is it close enough oh. to your mouth yes does this bother you really <laughs> Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm concerned about it because we were asking Danielle, we'll get to her in a second, Daniela earlier, like, what are you using for a microphone? And she said nothing, which really <laughs> concerned me. Should we just mute the whole thing and just, I don't know, figure it out, like lip read? I don't know. I'm telling you, it's the screaming. You just have to have a really good Israeli family and you, you learn to scream into anything. People hear you. We'll get to that in a you second. You introduce Daniela now. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, we're so pleased to have Daniela Barguera, who is heading up the plug and play offices in Basel, Switzerland. Welcome. How are you, Daniela? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. So besides the Israeli thing, which we'll get to in a second, can you give us a little bit more of your background, maybe for some context? Although for me, I feel like that's enough. All That's all I need to know to figure out a bunch of other things. But go ahead. <laughs> To be fair, I want to say I have Israeli parents and was raised in Switzerland, which is a slightly, I'd say, either bipolar or schizophrenic kind of way of going around in life. But um, it's been a good mix. It's been fun. That's but wait. So were you were you born in Israel though? No, I was actually born in Basel. So that's really like kind of a circle closing thing. Go Not ahead. that my life is over, but yeah. Um. So this is uh, I am raised in Switzerland, born and raised in Switzerland, spent some years in the UK, spent some time in Israel and have a very close relationship to it, have Israeli parents. So I learned to speak Hebrew first and then I only learned to speak German. But uh, that's kind of my my cultural background, I'd say. Interesting. Yeah. So do you consider yourself like a third culture kid in a way? Not really, because both of my parents are Israelis. Fair enough. So, so there's not, you know, there's no clashing cultures between the parents more than male and female kind of way mm -hmm. but yeah so an Israeli mom and an Israeli dad there's no clash you're telling me <laughs> no, again circling back to that screaming thing the, yeah. there there is but in a very healthy way of course you know oh, of course of course yeah of course of course do you are you still a Hebrew speaker just out of curiosity for me yes absolutely so I can speak it I can speak it really well I know how to read. It just takes very long. Does it really? Yeah. Um. And writing, I, I never even tried. It's really, hard. it's just, it's, yeah, there was no point in me trying to write. There aren't uh, that many letters though. If I told you I went to yeshiva, would you believe me? No, really? I was saving that just for you. So I can read and write Hebrew as well. I can't speak it anymore, but I went to yeshiva for like five years. But interestingly, I've never been to Israel. Right. You do. That was the wrong way around. Like, that was not the fun part of being Jewish and Israeli. You've chosen kind of like. I feel like I did the right thing. So when you're both angry or mad, angry or sad, do you think in Hebrew? Do you think in English? Do you think in German? Yeah. German. German. Okay. Really? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Hebrew for me is, is a difficult, not a difficult language, but. Because I've only learned it from my parents yeah. and a little bit of family. Like I've never conversed in it in school. I never conversed in it with, with a lot of friends. It's It has a very limited vocabulary for me. And then when I go to Israel, it's like I need to get into it. So 
yeah, when I'm angry, you will hear Swiss German, very angry Swiss German or English. Yeah. So I did really intensive study when I was 10, 11, 12, and 13 years old. And well, yeah, half of my schooling when I was that age was in Hebrew, like the whole thing. So it was really interesting for me. And all the kids that I grew up with were the same way. That was neat. Yeah. Was it in Hebrew or was it in Yiddish? You no, know, in Hebrew, Yiddish, who knows? I mean, <laughs> that's a completely different animal. I'm talking about teachers from Israel in a yeshiva in New Haven, Connecticut, like not speaking English to us, just speaking mm-hmm. like Israeli Hebrew. This is surprising yeah. for you. I'm sure you didn't expect to go here anyway. But I think this is but I think it makes it more interesting because the reason why I asked you if you felt like a third culture kid. And excuse the word kid, but I, I feel like a third culture adult. And the reason why is because when I was 24, I left my home country and then I lived in Asia for the rest of my life. Right. And I I know what it means, but it's like what I look like and what I am are two completely different things. And it's weird growing up in a household where there's one culture and then growing up outside where there's another culture. Right. It's just super interesting. And I think it it fits in perfectly with what kind of what we're talking about here in a way. No, absolutely. I think that background that I have, especially like this complete opposite of cultures. So I grew up in Switzerland in a relatively rural area. So that was like a good 45 minutes to get to to Zurich. Um, And the difference between an entrepreneurial working Israeli mom compared to other moms that were there over lunch and, you know, like like this typical Swiss kind of thing like that difference made me the person that I am today and maybe not that culture I don't think there's three cultures for me but I know exactly what you mean with the those you grow up one way there's a culture at your home and then the outside world is completely different I'm neither Israeli nor am am I Swiss I spent a lot of time in the UK I was completely fine so yeah I, I I can very relate to what you say you know what I mean, though, right? Yeah. So third maybe is the wrong word, but it's just this multicultural experience, I think, has opened my mind in a way to experiences that I wouldn't have had otherwise and that I wouldn't understand. And I think when we talk about, you know, diversity and innovation in this in this case, in a way to us, it feels obvious because that's the way our whole lives have been, right? Right. But, but now you have to try to build it into something. So maybe we can talk a little bit about... so. I think we introduced you as the head of the office at Plug and Play. Is it just in Basel or is it in Zurich or is it in all of Switzerland? No, it's currently in Basel. Um, the plan is to open more offices. Um, we also have an office in, in Geneva that is tailored to one specific client that is had by my colleague, Robbie. But we'll see how everything develops over the next couple of months and years. So this is actually a really good point. Maybe you can explain, because I think people outside of the plug and play universe, and I should tell you that I'm a mentor at the plug and play program in Singapore. So I have a little bit of inside information, but maybe for people that don't understand exactly how it works, I think to people on the outside, it looks like an early stage investor. Interesting that you say that. Interesting. And I classify it as the best place for business development if your product is at the right stage. So what do you what do you think it is that Daniela? See, I love I love the fact that from different perspectives, it looks like something completely different because we're so big. We're so big now that we don't have a single kind of product or not a single service. But we've grown from an early stage investor to a corporate innovator, which means we're helping corporates work with startups and 
in the beginning, it was just introducing startups to corporates, to a corporate part. But then over time, we've learned that we actually need to educate them a lot. And everyone can now use Crunchbase, you know, like Crunchbase started, everyone has their own scout. They think they can do it themselves. Sometimes they do, sometimes they need more help. And then we come in with a completely different new role that we needed to learn is how can we offer them actual education on how to work with startups? How can we connect corporates and corporates? And now we're this huge construct of an investor, um, an accelerator, which we don't actually push our own investments through the accelerator programs, but the startups that our corporate partners work with. And then we have that corporate innovation program. And now we're starting to raise funds because we see and we evolve as a company that just early stage investments don't make sense anymore for us. We want to grow as well. So what is plug and play? Plug and play is an innovation platform with a lot of different aspects to it. And don't you think it's interesting the way it started in the sense that, you know, the family that actually started this thing, it was almost like serendipitous in a way, right? I don't think they woke up one day and said, hey, let's start an accelerator program. Or, hey, let's do this. It's like, if you believe the mythology, right, around we're going to buy this building in Silicon Valley, and then eBay is going to be there and all these other, and Google's going to be there and stuff like that. And you're like, hmm, how can we, like, what can we learn here? Right. Cause it's definitely a family of learners. No. Yes. So I love the fact that Said actually, actually says we're a little bit of emotional investors, which isn't true because there's an entire team that does like an incredible due diligence and stuff. So it's not, you know, like we're not just like going around throwing money around. Um, but this whole idea of if you see an opportunity, that's good. And you can see that it can go somewhere, even if you don't have it figured out up until the end, you can take it and you grow. And that's, I feel this whole culture at our, at our company, at Plug and Play, which is why I like it, is when we go with different types of partners, we develop new structures for them. So you can have the typical Plug and Play thing, but you can also have something that is tailored to you. And this whole story of, all right, I have a building, let's have some young people work there. They need money and I have free space. Fine, I'll give them the free space. I'll give them the space for free. And then, ooh, my friends could use that service. And then the other way around. And really just, you know, like going with the flow, using this opportunity. And that is what, what makes plug and play plug and play. Amongst all the other accelerator programs in Switzerland, what drew you to plug and play and not the others? To be fair, I wasn't, I, I was something completely different. I used to work as a consultant in a company that did SIP solutions for insurances and banks. Um, so completely opposite world. I used to be an engineer beforehand, like a construction engineer. So, you know, very, very different completely opposite of what I'm doing right now. And I met the team, I met Saeed, I met a couple of other people. And I realized all of these skills that I've gathered over the last couple of years, I can challenge them and I can do something completely new. And why not? And then I started. That was it. You said your mom was an entrepreneur as well. Like what was she building? If that if that's okay to ask. I'm curious. Absolutely. Um, I am today who I am because of my parents and especially because I have a role model like my mom. Awesome. Um, so I 
love speaking about it. Actually, funnily enough, we were in the same panel a couple of weeks ago and I found that both weird, but also. What, you and your mom were on the same panel? Yeah. Yes. What was the panel? Um, it was in it was in Basel um, and it was about startups. It was together with Startup Invest and Uptown Basel. And they asked if my mom wants to be on the panel and she came and then they were like, oh, why don't you take the plug and play side? And so we just gave, we spoke about the same topic, which means what do we need in the innovation space in Switzerland? What can we learn from? And she gave it from the Israeli perspective and I could give it from like the plug and play global perspective. So that was awesome. Really, really cool. So wait, I don't even remember the question from before. It doesn't even matter. So I don't want to relitigate the whole panel, but like what did what was the outcome of this? And when, and when you talk to your mom offline as well, what do we think we need in Switzerland? Right, because this this was one of my questions anyway. Like, how do you categorize what the startup ecosystem looks like? And if you had to add components to it, adding in what your mom was thinking about from the Israeli perspective, but also from your perspective, what do you have to add to it to make it more robust? Right. So maybe as a background, again, my parents are entrepreneurs and they used to do a lot of business together. Most of their very um, successful um, ventures they did together. One other is the CEO, one is the chairman, and then they swapped around. So that was awesome. Um, and currently what my mom is doing is she is, as a cybersecurity expert, she is finding startups in Israel and connecting them to the European and especially to the Swiss ecosystem, helping them to find partners. And so what we see the differences, I'd say, and I don't necessarily think you need to copy everything from it, is urge to innovate and find something new. Israel is in a constant state of war. Um, Israel doesn't have much other than their services, companies that are services that you can scale really fast and you can sell fast um, abroad. Right. They have to do it. This is coming from a pure necessity mm-hmm. and the network. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone helps everyone. That comes from feeling of the minority in, in the entire world. And last but not least is that chutzpah. So just really not, you know, not letting anyone tell you how to do your thing. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's not as good. But um, I think that's like the parts where we as a Swiss ecosystem could copy from it. Yeah, it's hard to teach chutzpah though. I mean, it's like a this. we were talking about this earlier today. Like it's a very cultural thing, right? In other words, when you were joking around about the yelling and screaming in the house, it's it sounds like anger to most people, but it's really just passion, right? Yes. Like you, you know what I mean? Like your mom and dad weren't necessarily arguing. They were just like really passionate about whatever they were talking about. And frankly, I mean, any household that's similar to that, there's a lot of that. But I think it's super cultural as well, right? In other words, you can't bring that over. There's also something about, sorry, can and tell me where I'm wrong here, but there's also something about the Israeli ecosystem as well, besides this sort of def- defensive footing, right? It's that the deep tech there is necessary because of the constant state of warfare. So the necessity to continuously develop deep tech, whether it's cyber or missile technology, right? Or defense technology means that somebody is being educated, right? At these tech universities to s- figure out those problems. And when they're done doing that, they're like, now what do I do? Because yeah. I'm not in the army forever. So what do I do with this skill? I build all these other things, right? 
it doesn't even, you know, like we always think about cybersecurity and 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 defense and all that stuff. But at the same time, they don't have a lot of space and they don't have a, a lot of agricultural land that they use. That's a massive point because as much as they can import food, they also need to have a certain amount of reliable food produce that they can support their own their own people. They have an issue with water, water scarcity, so they need to do that. They have an issue with with um, electricity scarcity. So everything that we're running into right now as Europe and as Switzerland, they've been dealing with that for the last 20 years um, or last 40 years, actually, or 60 years, whatever you want to see, however you want to see it. But like, they are always coming from the point of we need to evolve in order to be able to survive. And Switzerland is more like we need to evolve in order to. Why should we? <laughs> you know, how do you deal with that? That why should we? I think there's a change in the market. And I think I've, I've gotten a really nice timing when I got in. So that was two and a half years ago which was just the start of the pandemic. So I signed with Plug and Play and a week later, we all went into lockdown. So that was great. On one hand, that was incredibly frustrating because everything wasn't stopped. On the other hand, I think the pandemic was incredibly good for our country because we realized that we as Switzerland need to jumpstart our digital innovation system. So everything that has been happening very slow over the last 10 years and there has been a good and good amount of development exploded over the last two years it did considering comparing it to other countries we're not that bad we just like to downplay it a lot and that is the exact opposite of the israeli chutzpah is that <laughs> is that kind of downplaying everything that we have in Switzerland, constantly, all the time. We're just making everything smaller than there is. We're the country with the highest amount of patents. We're one of the most educated countries there are. We have generally a relative good amount of female VCs compared to other countries. So we're not that bad, but there's always room for improvement. But when there's no pressure to improve, how are we going to do that? So plug and play is fundamentally, and you said this, and I love this terminology. It's like an innovation platform, right? Which means it can be malleable depending on which in which country and even in which city it operates, right? You said this before. Was it in Geneva where you say you have one corporate client probably and you work together with them to develop programs, right? And I'm just summarizing. So if I have it wrong, I have it wrong. But because of that and because of the way it was structured and the way it was started, it seems to me like these types of partnerships are really important, right? Like I think they subscribe by one of the things that I subscribe to that no one succeeds alone and definitely nobody succeeds in a vacuum, right? When you look at the other things that are taking place in Switzerland, like InnoSwiss and Venture Lab run by like Jordi Montserrat, yeah? How do you work together with those other things and even Uptown Basel, right? To make sure that that ecosystem becomes more cohesive, but also because you said you started two and a half years ago, like from scratch, also to make it more inclusive, if that makes sense. To be completely honest, we're not that close with others. I'm part of the VC network. I speak to them, a lot of them privately. We do we do try to get in touch with them. There, I think there was a sense of we're already, like we already have it. We're already in the market. Why would we need someone like plug and play? Um, and to be fair, I get it. Why change a winning team? Kind of in that sense, there's mass challenge, there's kickstart, there's venture lab. There's InnoSwiss, there's all that stuff that 
is functioning, right? So why would we need someone like plug and play? My job is to to explain why we do need plug and play in Switzerland. But is it isn't it the resources of like the 40 other or 50 other cities in the world where you operate where you can then learn best practices and then take Again, just as an example, but like take the startup that's in Singapore and say, hey, what did you learn by building it in a country with six and a half million people? We also have eight and a half or nine million people here. How do you then expand to the rest of your region in the same way that a company in Switzerland could expand either to the rest of Europe or into the United? Like there's so much to learn from all of the embedded experience. And that's different. There's nothing wrong with what the other sort of platforms are doing, but they're definitely looking at the world from a completely different perspective, no? Yes. And um, I think that's probably the difference why I like to compare Switzerland to Israel. I think Israelis are more open to learning from others. Um, and Swiss aren't as much, if I have to, if, if I may say that. Um, I, I always worry that I, that I offend people. Um, I think because it's such a good and mature and, and settled market. Yeah. People don't feel like they, have anything to learn and learning from the from the loud obnoxious american is something that the swiss just do not like neither do i <laughs> they also don't like to learn from the loud obnoxious israeli so we're fine. <laughs> um <laughs> i lose twice even though i'm not israeli so then we need a trigger we need something and that something is has already been started in the name of globalization, right? And that trigger will eventually make the Swiss more open to things that they're not open now. This is my hope. And this is what one of the things I want to change as well. I, I, I fully agree. And I think Swiss and Switzerland, they just need a little bit more time. So if we look at, you know, if we look at fashion trends, even now with globalization, with Instagram, with teenies being on TikTok all the time, even still we're like lagging behind at least half, at least a season, if not two, unlike new trends, which is something very simple. But when it's consumer to consumer, in theory, the trend should be going faster than when you go from um, like big corporations to big corporations. So I think Switzerland is on a really good path and it will happen. It just takes a moment. And one needs to to be a little bit more cautious and patient. But then at the same time, as soon as it clicked, which I think now it has, mm -hmm. the development is a very sustainable and very reliable. So if we look at the VC landscape that we have in Switzerland at the moment, we have a really decent amount of women in decision-making positions, even compared to Israel and even compared to, to the US. Not female-led mm -hmm. VCs, but just women in decision-making positions in normal VCs. Mm -hmm. The only thing we're still lagging behind quite a bit is female founders of startups and decision makers at banks but if we look at decision makers in um, big corporations we're not that bad like we're, we're on a decent scale and particularly if we look back five years ago and ten years ago how far we've been lagging behind on other countries so I'm not that opposed to to the change that is happening and I'm not that opposed to a sustainable and slow change 
Yeah, neither am I. Look, I don't. I never mind sort of slow progressive or slow kind of moderate change bit by bit because I think it's the most sustainable. I understand that other people want to like move a lot faster, and I get it. But, but stuff is changing. I think again, I'm not in Switzerland. I'm not in Europe, but I do talk to people in the whole region, and I do feel like things are changing bit by bit. And you're right; it's never going to be the same as it is in Israel. It's never going to be the same as it is in the United States because culturally, it's just different. Are there specific verticals that you focus on as well? Do you know what I mean? Like, clearly, it's a financial center. So there's got to be some kind of fintech and some kind of insure tech going on there, right? At least from the outside. But from the inside, like, what about what are the things that I don't know that you're focusing on? You're smiling. So I love it. I'm wrong. And I love being wrong because it means I get to learn <laughs> something. Teach me something. So that is really, that's actually really, really interesting, right? So we thought the same. Well, before I joined Plugplay, that was, that was the goal was, Let's open a fintech center and an intertech center in Switzerland because that makes most sense. Now, right? So that makes most sense. Like we have Credit Suisse, we have Credit Suisse and UBS and whatnot. Now, that's it. That's the only thing that that we um. That's the only that's the only big players that we have. Maybe Tetkabe, but if you look at the banks, we have so many banks, but they're relatively small. All the private banks that aren't really interested in a lot of the fintech startups that have been going on over the last 10 years because it was mainly consumer-based or enterprise-based in, internally that were, wasn't particularly relevant for them. Intratech, same story. Like we do, we have Zurich Insurance. Swiss Re. Swiss Re. But if you look at Germany, just the, ba- just the one in Bayern, has more clients than mm-hmm. Switzerland. So one second, just the one in Bayern. <laughs> we don't want to yeah, say the name. Like, uh, Falkobe, I think they're called Falkobe, I can't remember. Um, but like they literally have more clients than Switzerland. So what is it? So what is the vertical focus? Industry, industry 4.0, which is when you think about it, so obvious. We have so many headquarters of so many Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies, corporates worldwide that sit in Switzerland. We have the ETH and we have the EPFL, which just spit out fantastic AI-driven, data analytics-driven, um, even mechanically new particle-driven startups. We have everything that is happening in pharma, everything that is happening in health, which is moving away or is moving towards either personalized, so you need to be really fast at stuff, or even more mass market where you need to have a production that is functioning greatly. We have everything that is starting to do to work in construction where you start to work with digital twins to such an extent, digital twins and AR and VR to such an extent that we can just harvest that. And that makes way more sense than anything else. And that's what we're currently focusing on. So health and pharma and medtech, which we lump into one, which we call health. And the other one is industry 4.0, which also includes smarts logistics, um, manufacturing and sustainability. How open uh, is industry 4.0 or industry in terms of innovation startups? I mean, I have my opinion because I look at it from a data science perspective, right? And I know the pluses and the minus, but there is um, the mindset. Where are they? So very varied along the spectrum of this is how we've always done it to bring me whatever new thing you have that I can't give you like a singular answer on this. 
Mm-hmm. Can I ask you what excites you? Because I can hear it in your voice. Like you're very excited <laughs> about this. You're not just like, oh, I got to wake up and go to work on Monday kind of thing. And no. I can like, this is, this is, there's some passion here. And I wanted to find out like, which part of this excites you? So first of all, I really like to work. Like I know that sounds. No, no, no. I love it. No. So do I. I love it. You can hear it in my voice as well. Yeah? I really like to work. Like I like getting it. Like when my job isn't fun anymore, I quit. Like that's just, that's pointless. Um, I have an incredible privilege that I, you know, I live in a country where you find jobs and you can choose from, and I have an education that I can choose from my job, but not everyone has that. So this is great. And I'm very thankful for it. What I love about my job is that I get to work with people that really want to do this. Like as soon as we've actually either signed a startup or we signed a corporate on our innovation journey, they're excited about it. They want to do this. Even the like the business units up until the management. So you get to work. You don't have to work against people. I get to work with people that really want to do this, which is just great. Um, I get to work internally with talented, young, driven people that just want to kickstart their career. I get to work with startups and, you know, founders that slightly you know, make it megalomanic sometimes, but brilliant and fun to Slightly. work with. Slightly. Sometimes. Not always. Sometimes. I get it. I'm um, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just like, you know, yeah, the end of there's going to be like this, this headline of plug and play head insults startups. No, or something. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. And then you get to work with CIOs and CEOs and even CFOs that see the value of what you bring and make like excite their own employees and their own teams to work with you. And in the end, it's just fun. And you work every day looks completely different. And that's also great. Yeah. I mean, for me, the best part about what I do, and I think it's similar in a way to what you do, is that I get to talk to people that are sort of super motivated to build new things, that are learning new things all the time. And if you think about, like every day, you probably learn something new. And that sounds a little bit hackneyed, but it's probably true where you're like, yeah, because just like I am, right? I thought, oh, it's got to be insure tech and this thing. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. But no, actually, it's not that at all because here are the things you don't know. So now I know that. And I, that's why I love this. Like if I learned nothing else from this conversation, which that's not the case, that would be enough, right? Yeah. And that's super cool. And that excites me. That's what I wake up every day. And I'm just thinking like, I get to talk to someone I don't know and I get to ask them about stuff that I don't, I'm not sure about. And then when it's over, I feel like, okay, I put that in another pocket of my brain. And now I know that somewhat. And then the next conversation that I have, I can add that into the things that I can talk about. And someone can say, yeah, but on top of that, then there's this. And for me, that's so much fun. And it's got to be the same way for you. No. hundred percent learning new stuff that like, and especially not learning in a, in a, in a formal way where you sure, sit down sure, sure. in a textbook, but every, every day you've got like this new little bit, new little piece. And then you speak to someone else and you're like, Oh, actually I've heard about this. And you have a great conversation. That's just, that makes work fun. And then it feels more like life rather than work. And how cool is it to be able to sit around the table with your mom and your dad and talk about stuff like this? Do you know what I mean? In the sense that like, they are these like seasoned, again, I don't know them at all, but they feel like seasoned and experienced entrepreneurs. And they're like, I wonder what she's doing. You come home and you're like talking about all this stuff and you're like, yeah. And then, do you know what I mean? Like you can at least have a conversation with it's super cool. It's very cool. But again, they're Israeli, so they know best what I'm supposed to be doing. Of course. 
I do not need this explanation. I'm like, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I get it, I get it. Which one thing that is super cool to have at the table is the difference of generation. Yeah. So one, I have this male, alpha male entrepreneur, my dad, who's, you know, bulldozer, knows exactly what he wants, has hundred ideas at the same time and just runs through. And then on the other hand, I have a mother that is highly educated and has been an entrepreneur and knows exactly the struggles that you go through as a woman in a tech and male dominated kind of space. But at the same time, is super organized and, and gets that creative mind of my dad into like good things. And then you have someone like me who is who has a difference, 30 years difference. And sometimes it's exactly the same experience. Right. And sometimes it's completely different. I love it. Then seeing that is, is yeah, that's just fun. Like the conversations can get fun, but also very heavy, very loud, very passionate. Yeah. Do um is there a crypto angle to what you're doing as well? I mean, people spend used to spend a lot of time back in 17 and 18 talking about, you know, the crypto canon and Zug and stuff like that. I don't know enough about it to say, but I'm just curious if there's an angle there, not from a speculative standpoint, because I don't care at all, but just from a sort of technical implementation of distributed ledger technology stuff. Does that pl come into play at all? No pun intended. So <laughs> so um not that I do it in particular. Is again, we have experts. So my colleague Max actually is our expert. Everything that has to do with uh, crypto and digital assets. Um, we're building a platform specifically for that, or they have built um, where we will, in my opinion, it's more of a horizontal than a vertical because I think we'll start to tap every single aspect of our lives. Yeah. Um, asset tracking in, in especially when you look again a personalized medication you want to know that what is delivered to you is your stuff and right. is fixed to you and you want to make sure that this is actually safe um going into asset tracking in in construction and in a building and in manufacturing i think it will tap everything yeah. um making stuff more secure knowing that your i don't know your your data within um, your your factory, whatnot is safe. Like it will tap everything, but I have no idea, and I'm <laughs> expert on it, and I will never say more than that. But I think you, I think you actually hit the nail on the head in a certain sense, and that is, it's not a vertical; it's a horizontal because it's going to touch every part of the business world in the same way that the internet did, in and yes. of itself, right? Like if you had an internet vertical, it would have been silly. But every business now is connected, right? So, and every business will have some sort of distributed ledger technology as part of their business, whether it's for self-sovereign, whether it's for payments, right? Whether it's for your own personalized data, all that kind of stuff is going to have to be a horizontal implementation of this and plugging into it or plugging up to it, as opposed to just this vertical that sits off to the side. The speculation part, again, I'm disinterested at every level, but the technology that underpins it is really fascinating for me, particularly the way that it's more horizontal than vertical. Yeah. I think, you know, like we're going through that crypto crash and loads of people lost a lot of money and that's all fine. Oh, it's not fine. It's not great. But at the same time, this gives the opportunity that we're looking at the technology behind it rather than just this hype of crypto bros and NFTs and some singing monkeys. So right. we're going back to to really focusing on what can this new technology deliver and what how can we, it improve our life? 
Um, and I see there's kind of a similar trend when we look at everything that has to do with sustainability. Sustainability used to be up until like two years ago, it used to be this kind of philanthropic thing where like someone did a pledge and we did some, you know, SGEs things and nothing really happened. And now there's business cases. Now sustainability isn't a fun thing, but it's we need to be sustainable and mainly to save money. And as soon as it's a financial case, it makes sense. And then things start to happen. And climate change is now the big topic where you actually can make money. And, you know, if you think about it, innovation is still not, is still reactive. It's not proactive, right? Because sustainability has been, should have been tackled with a business case 10 years ago. And I can speak about several things in insurance, right? But then usually where there's money, everything goes. And when, when there is money, only innovation really comes to the front. This is what I've seen. I, this is clearly what I've seen in insurance. Don't you think that uh, platforms like plug and play and other other areas can actually push that to innovation to be actually more proactive? Maybe yeah. you disagree with my 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 view on innovation altogether, but do you not think there's a bigger role? I I do agree, um, but only to a certain extent. So. We should have reacted 10 years ago. Yes, 100%. We should be at a space where women earn just as much as men. Yes, absolutely. Is the world that we're at not like moving forward? Yes. Are we at the perfect point? Yes, obviously not. I think innovation will always be reactive to a certain extent because humans are slow and most people do not want to take risk especially, you know, like if you look at Switzerland, as soon as you're comfortable, why would you take risks? So only then when it starts to be an actual threat, we start to be innovative. Hence, again, circling all back, Israel being so innovative because they're under constant threat. Um, So yes, innovation will always be reactive. We as plug and play actively try to have companies sit down and think about what will be the next thing that will disrupt them in order to like start the process from within? But whenever you do something that is innovative, you disrupt the way that you've been doing business up until now. And there's either the option that you, you know, you dislocate the new idea and and then from a new spin-off that cannibalizes your old market, or you cannibalize your own market from within and you're worried that that's gonna fall apart. So again, I completely agree with you, but innovation will always be reactive. I don't think that we can change that that much. Let's let's end on that. That's really mm-hmm. great, actually. So I'm just going to thank you. And what what's your title again? Head of office? Yeah. At Basel? Office. At Basel? Is that cool? <laughs> head of okay. In Basel and Zurich, yeah. Okay. Danielle Barguera, <laughs> head of office at Plug and Play in Zurich and Basel. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was really, really fun. And hope you have a great weekend. 